It, it is coming. And I, I enter this mode where God just begins to download. And God has downloaded a whole lot into my heart. And I listen to the spirit in the wind and I just say, okay, God, where is this at? And, and it just begins to line up. And so today I want to begin a journey. But I want to start with a story. When I was a small boy, oh, by the way, I want to welcome Eric and his family back from Guatemala. They got to see firsthand experience those that have journeyed to the cross and are camped there and those that have moved beyond the cross and are actually living examples of what it, likes, what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and to walk in that power and authority. I'm waiting for, they're putting together uh, some stories for us and, and putting it together. And I'm waiting, I'm excited to hear what God has done in them and through them. So, amen, just, just saying. So anyhow, I want to start with a story this morning. Years ago, I, I, I've grown up in a family, third generation of mechanics. And although I'm not technically a mechanic, I do love to tinker, but my grandfather owned a shop and a gas station. My father was a phenomenal mechanic. And all of that has trickled down to my son and I. And we have a lot of their tools and other tools we've added to it, and we do a lot of tinkering and love to do it. But I was, as I was preparing this sermon and what God's downloading, I was flashback to a time when there was a whole bunch of young boys. They were a little bit older than me, but my dad had a friend named Art Hubbard, and Art had a bunch of boys. And these boys loved to mess with anything that moved mechanically. So they had this small engine out there one time, and they're messing with it, and they're putting mufflers on it, and they put pipes on it 10 feet, 20 feet, just to see what it sounds like. It was fun. Just don't touch the pipe. I know from experience. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so here we are messing with this engine, and they keep wanting to rev this thing up, and they're looking at this spring thing on the motor. It's called a governor, and it's there for a reason. So they're, they're going, what if? It's dangerous when young men go, what if? What if we get in this wagon and go down this cliff? No. They're going, what if we just take that spring off? It'll run even faster because more is better, right? Horsepower, whoom, is the thing. So they unhook the spring. And I'm standing there watching. And pretty soon this motor's revving higher and higher. And they're giving it more throttle with their finger and more and more. And it's revving higher and higher, higher and higher and higher. And all of a sudden there was this unbelievable sound. A chunk went somewhere. I don't know where it went. And their dad walked out. My dad walked out. They looked at it. I remember my dad looking at it and goes, you know, boys, governors are there for a reason. They keep, they keep us in this place where we don't over-rev and blow up. And he begins to explain how governors should work. And we're all standing there looking. I'm young, so I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> and God just said, we're in that moment today. We're in that moment when all the governors have been cut. Everything is running wild. There doesn't seem to be any lid on anything. What we once held as absolute truth is gone, or at least it seems that way. You know, we are watching many attempts right now to censor, many attempts to repackage or redefine truth as we've known it. This thought that you have your truth and I have mine, really that thought reflects this Worldview that seems to dominate most of, I wrote here, uh, of today's postmodern society conversation. And that is that truth is only relative. And what's true for you is not true for me. What you can do is your thing, what I can do is my thing. There is no governor, there's no lid, it's just run amok. 
Relative truth, I wrote here, is conditional. It's subjective. It's varying. It's contradictory. So it's capable of changing over time. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing truth being molded, truth being shifted and changed to fit today's current narrative. Am I right? We're seeing that. And at the same time, when you contrast that to absolute truth, absolute truth is consistent. It's constant. It is eternal. Its meaning is universal, and it's never changing. Right? So if you were to stop the bus, get off, and stand there for a moment, and have an honest grasp of reality, you'd be reassured that the truth is, truth is absolute. It's not relative at all. It's like, for instance... If you jump out of an airplane with no parachute and you say, in relative truth, I identify as a bird, good luck with that. Because you're going down. If you plant corn, you're not going to get tomatoes. Well, these corn seeds identify as tomatoes. It doesn't work that way. Cyril, did your farm, farming family ever plant corn thinking it would be a tomatoes? Oh my goodness, where am I? Two plus two always equals four. four. But the new math changes that. Stop it. Stop it. But listen, all of these attempts I wrote to repackage and redefine truth isn't just this 21st century phenomenon. These efforts have been going on for years and years and years and years. In fact, since the beginning of time. And, and, and Jude finds himself in this moment where he has to write to address this very issue. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of Jude. We're going to hover in that today. It's only one chapter. It won't kill us. We'll make it to the end, I promise. So just some context. The underlying theme of the book of Jude is the danger that's being posed by false teachers who are distorting the truth. They have snuck in, they've infiltrated the church, and they're distorting the truth. So while wanting to write this letter of encouragement to the early Christian church, Jude finds himself instead having to broadcast a warning, a warning about the dangers posed by these false teachers. Those who have abandoned, we would call that apostatized. They have left, abandoned their faith. They've walked away from the things of God. They, those who have abandoned the truth as laid out in God's word, they're the ones trying to redefine it. They're trying to repackage it. They're trying to remold it. They're trying to make it a whole different color, shape, and taste. And we're seeing a lot of that today. It breaks my heart when I see that different denominations and movements have actually morphed and changed their, their, their truth to adapt and to allow for sin in the camp. And it's wrong. And I believe the thing that's going to save this country and that's going to save us is, is if we return to the absolute truth of God's word. Absolute truth of God's word. Eugene Peterson, you know who he is? He wrote the Message Bible. He says this, our spiritual communities are susceptible to disease as is our physical bodies. But it is easier to, to detect whatever is wrong in our stomach, stomachs and lungs than in our worship and witness. As much as we need physicians for our bodies, we need to have an even greater need for a diagno diagnosticians and healers of the spirit. 
I believe with all my heart that part of my job is to be that watchman on the wall and to say, I see something coming, guys. We need to keep our heads up. You need, my son's a firefighter, and he, right now he's out the Taiyi fire with other young men and women around the country. And I, I'm always saying, son, keep your head on a swivel. Always be watching because there's stuff falling and coming at you from every direction. We're in that moment. You need to keep your head on a swivel. You can't just keep staring straight ahead and just walk like this. It's not going to work. Get out of the zombie zone. Get back in the game. Get your head on a swivel. Start looking around. Always be looking for absolute truth. That's a first one. Jude's letter to an early community I wrote of Christians is just a diagnosis. There is an election cycle that's coming up. And, and, and I don't, please don't hear me get all into politics and all that, but there's something big and evil coming in all this. And if we're not careful and we don't keep our head on a swivel, it will roll over the top of us and overtake us. And we're watching this election cycle, and I've actually run into pastors that go, I don't know if I can stand another election cycle. It, it divided our church. It broke us up. It, and, and, and then in talking with them, you realize that they even will admit that they veered from the truth and their people drifted. And that's what allowed for the enemy to come in and plant seeds of doubt. Does the gospel really work? Is Jesus really who he says he is? Because this group is saying, that person on the podcast, this person out there saying this and that. Jude, Jude had the same problem going on, and he addressed it head on. Let's read. This letter is from Jude. I'm reading out of the, in a, the New Living Translation. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. I'm writing to all you who have been called by the Father who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we are safe. In Christ, we are secure. In Christ, we are tethered to the rock, right? May God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. Bring it on, Jesus. Bring it on. Then he begins to talk about the dangers of false teachers. He says, dear friends, I've been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. You can almost hear him go, but now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once and for all time to his holy people. Jude's not speaking about faith as simply just believing in God. He's saying something deeper here. He's saying you need to contend and defend the faith that encompasses the body of truth that we receive from the inspired word of God. That's what he's saying. It's more than just protecting, well, I believe in Jesus. No, it's protecting all of that that it encompasses, and that is the Word of God, His truth, which is inspiring us to do what is right. In this moment, it's inspiring us to stand up and let our voice be heard. That's what He's saying. Defend and fight for that. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, capital C, churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. Ah. Grace is not a license to sin, but many have changed it into that. The condemnation of such people was regarded long ago. Here's the reason for Jude's letter. 
Here's the reason why he's speaking out. For they have denied, we would call that apostatized, they have walked away from their faith, our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. It's like, yeah, we believe in Jesus, we believe in God, but today it's different. Yeah, nope is right. Jim Durkin, who originally started Gospel Outreach, he was preaching a sermon one time. I was there, I heard it, and Jim was very proper. And he's preaching along, and he says, the problem with today and the problem with the Word and how to use and, and, and grow and, and, and apply the Word of God is there's too many butts in the way. It's like, what? Did he just, did he just say the butt word? And, is that even legal? And then he explained. We read today, but we know, we read in the Word something, some powerful truth, and then we apply, but we know today that things are different. Come on. Jesus walked around with no shoes on. I mean, come on. It was back in the day. He was like a hippie. Jeez. But we know today. Get the butts out of there. If God says this, it means that. It means it. Amen. God so loved the world God didn't kind of sort of love the world. God didn't pick and choose. He loved the entire world. So the first thing we have to do is let's get our, let's get our butts out of there. Can I, can I say that? I don't mean any disrespect, but geez, it's true. I'll move on. The Passion, translates, put, the Passion Translation puts it this way. They have perverted the message, God, the message of God's grace into a license to commit immorality and turn against our only absolute master, our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's move on. In verses 5 through 7, we see Jude. Now he's referring to three groups of people who were unfaithful, and he begins to give us some reasons as to why we need to stand up to all this false teaching. Why we need to stand up in this moment to all that is anti-Christ. Why we need to stand up in this moment and let our voices be heard. So I want to remind you, he says, that though you already knew these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. Ooh. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of the authority of God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. Oh. God has kept them securely changed in the prisons of darkness in the netherworld, waiting for the great day of judgment. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah, and we leave out, and the neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. When was the last time you heard an on-fire rocking sermon about God's judgment? A little while ago. That's right. It's true. They don't. Because it's not comfortable. It's not woke. Well, I hope you get your pants lit on fire today. <laughs> So here's the three groups. The first group was the Israelites, and they failed to believe. Man, these guys were delivered all the way. And then they get to the promised land, and they send in some spies, and the, the 12 go in, but Joshua and Caleb come back with the only two that believe that God said what he said, and he means what he means, and he's going to make this happen for us. 
And the rest of them say, these guys are too big, they're too strong, we can't do this. And it cost them 40 years. So they really, really were guilty of unbelief. Check the box in your heart. Then we have the angels who rebelled against God's authority. That's huge. And, and, and all we know is they're securely changed in the netherworld, awaiting the last day, the big day of judgment, when they'll be released and they will be judged. What a moment that will be. What a terrifying moment. Whew, what a moment. Then we have the residents of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we read that they gave themselves over to sexual immorality. These are examples of those who will experience the punishment of eternal fire. That's what the word says. They abused God's grace. They abused God's grace. Don't abuse God's grace. Don't use it as a license to do your own thing. I wrote here, Jude used these three historical examples of rebellion and dire repercussions that followed to emphasize the importance of eschewing evil, holding fast to the truth, pursuing truth, and rejecting the deadly message of the heretics and the apostates of his day. Three examples. I can tell you this, guys. If you are not in those groups, any one of those groups, and you stand up for truth, you're going to make it to the promised land. You will. Hold fast to that. Let's go on. Verses 8 through 10. Jude's giving us more reasons for resisting false teachers. And, and now he moves into this mode where they speak with in-your-face cynicism. They're just in-your-face. How many have had someone in your face when you said, no, that's not true? And they're just in your face. And you want to give them a good right hook. I will rent this out. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> so let's read on. In the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy. He simply said, the Lord rebuke you. That's all he did. Very, very important, yes. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. But then in verse 10 it says, But these people scoff at the things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them, and so they bring about their own destruction. The governors are off. They're running amok. Let me move on. So in verse 11, we move into Jude associating uh, false teachers with three Old Testament characters. He's always doing this comparison thing. So here Judah gives us three illustrations of wicked men who did as they pleased and they suffered greatly. Verse 11 says, what sorrow wastes them? He ties this into verse 10. They don't understand. They think like animals. They do whatever their instincts tell them. In other words, it's anarchy. They're doing whatever they feel is right in their own heart because this is my truth. Verse 11 what sorrow awaits them, for they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they deceive people for money, and Korah, they perish in their rebellion. What is the way of Cain? They follow in the footsteps of Cain. Some translations will say they go or they went in the way of Cain. Cain 
killed his brother Abel. How many are familiar with the story of Cain and Abel? I think most of us in this room have heard this. I want to tell you, this in itself, you should go back to Genesis and really do a deep dive on the way of Cain. It's a mind blower, absolutely a mind blower. I don't have time this morning to get into all the breakdown of that, but it's a mind blower. But in essence, Cain was aware of what God said was acceptable as an offering. He was aware of it. God was not pleased with Cain's offering. He was pleased with Abel's offering because Abel gave a lamb. He gave a blood sacrifice. And that's what God wanted, something that cost you dearly. Okay? That's what he wanted. And I believe that Cain was aware of what God said was acceptable, but still he brought an offering he thought should be acceptable. Do you see what happened there? He brought an offering that he... That, that he... Uh, <clears throat> He thought should be acceptable instead of an offering that God told him was acceptable. In other words, God, I got this. I don't need you to tell me everything, but I, I got this. And he got really snarky with God. You should read it. It's, read the story. It's, it's amazing. But really, the way of Cain was the way of pride. And here's what I'm seeing happen in the world today is I'm watching some of people who I knew walk with Jesus. They've stepped away from their faith. And they're following the way of Cain, which is envy, it's greed, it's rebellion, and that's where their hearts are going, all the while saying, this is the new truth. <sighs> Look, you can go the way of Cain, or you can go the way of Christ. I'm telling you, both of them have something at the end. You do not want what happens at the end of the way of Cain. You want what happens at the way of following Christ with all your heart. Following Christ, there's peace, there's love, there's grace. Yeah, it's not easy. It can be really hard. You'll get offended along the way. People step on your toes. People will push back against you. That's okay, because in the end, God's got this, and he's got you. So I wrote here, the way of Cain was to reject the blood sacrifice that God desired, instead offer the fruit of his own labors. It was kind of this works pride moment. And false teachers will insist on adding something to the gospel, and by doing that, they pollute it with human works. It, it, it's kind of like, like the Gnostics. They, they, it's an extra-biblical thing. They add something that's outside of the Word of God onto it so that they, they appear as if, I know a little bit something you don't know because God has revealed it to me and not you. That's baloney. Okay, I'll move on. Balaam's heir, that was a big one. Balaam's heir was the heir of greed. Balaam's heir was, was the abuse of his prophetic gift for financial gain. And I've watched people who God has given gifts to turn around and use it for financial gain. I struggle with that. You, you ever get those emails and it's like from pastor or whoever, or this person that's uh, somewhere, is a, somewhere in ministry, and they say, if you send $99.95, I will give you the inside track secret of how you can be, stop it. If you believe it's that great and that grand, why don't you just go out and share it with all the people that want to follow Jesus? I, I struggle with that. But at the end of the day, if I have some revelation that God's given me, I'm not going to put it in something and try to sell it to you. I want to just share it with you like we should all be sharing with each other, right? In a similar way, I wrote, the things of this earth entice those false teachers, and they will be swallowed up by their greed for what the world can author them. And then he mentions Korah. You guys know much about Korah and the rebellion of Korah? Whoo, what a story. Now that alone will light your pants on fire. Korah was a Kohathite, and they were responsible for transporting items in the tabernacle. 
and he was not satisfied. Korah was not satisfied with his position that was assigned to him by Moses. And he led this revolt against Moses with what? I think there was 249 men, 250 total, so he was one. So he led 249 men into this pushback against Moses. He demanded a raise. He demanded a promotion. I'm not satisfied with what God's got me doing in this, in this big thing we're moving for, and I want more. I'm not happy with you, Moses. You're doing it wrong. Blah, blah, blah. And he's yelling at Aaron, too. Not only did he challenge Moses and Aaron's authority, but he challenged God directly. That's what he did. And guess what God did? Earth opened up. They all fell in. That's kind of a sobering thought. Yeah, end of problem. End of problem. Wow. Let's move on. Let me tell you something. We've heard this many times, but rebellion really is a sin of witchcraft. Man, there's so many rebellious people today that have gone woke and they've got this new truth and they're rebelling against. I get tired of people saying, you know, the Holy Spirit has left the church. And, and, and you know, I, I'm just sick of organized religion. I understand what they're saying, but there's something about gathering together. You've heard me share this before, but I really believe the church operates on two wings. A bird has two wings. You take one wing off, what happens? Me, I swim in circles. But a bird, you take a wing off, they spin out of the sky and they crash. Paul says they met corporately like this. It's great, it's fun to come together and sing and worship and gather around. Great job today, it was wonderful. Being sensitive to the Lord, Newt, you rock it. All of you guys did on worship team today. It's wonderful. Thank you. But we come for that experience to worship together with our brothers and sisters. But also, there's that place of meeting house to house. That's the other wing. In smaller groups where we can talk, and that's what home groups do for us. And this fall, as home groups fire back up and people get back into that routine, I'm excited because not only can we come for a corporate worship session, but we can also meet in homes in the community, and have both and be balanced. Does that make sense? That's my heart, and that's one of my passions. Rebellion, I wrote, is the sin of witchcraft, and it's exemplified in the lives of those who display contempt for authority, and they flaunt their ungodly attitude with disrespect, disorder. We even see it go as far as rioting, and we see violence, which eventually gives way to anarchy. Anarchy is simply every man or woman doing what they feel is right in their own hearts. Not a good moment. So let's move on. Now, if, now we go on to 12 and, thir 12 and 13. Now notice the word pictures here. Word pictures in the word are powerful. Powerful. It's like when the, when the Lord came to Gideon and said, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. That is a word picture because Gideon at the moment didn't see it. But as time went on, Gideon began to see who he was and that he was a man, a mighty man of valor. That's why I love walking the halls of the church. I love walking through school. By the way, Tuesday morning, there's going to be 125, 30 kids here. And I love walking through the halls going, you little mighty man of valor, you little virtuous woman of God. And they look at you like, who is this man? <laughs> but it's speaking the truth into their hearts because that is truth. And if you hear that enough, it will push shame away. It, it will drive, it will change your whole paradigm. It'll change the trajectory of your life. 
if you're encouraged in the things of God's word. And we need to be speaking it up more in that area. He says, when these people, he's talking about the apostates, when these people eat with you in your fellowship meals, commemorating the Lord's love, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. This is getting pretty descriptive. They are like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They are like trees in autumn that are doubly dead. I'm not sure how you get doubly dead, but this doesn't look good. For they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. They are like wild waves of the sea churning up the foam of their shameless deeds. Holy moly. They are like wandering stars doomed forever to the blackest darkness. Wow. Wow. Let's move on. And we'll go into 14 through 16. And Jude's going to begin to place great emphasis on the, the ungodliness of these false teachers and their ungodly practices. He goes in verse 14. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen, listen. The Lord is coming with countless thousands of the, his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of this world. Listen. He's coming. And judgment is coming too. He will convict every person of all their ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Whoa. That would be a good moment to invest in asbestos as you're close to any of these people. I'm just kidding, but what a serious moment. These people are grumblers. These people are complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves and they flatter others to get what they want. Narcissism is running rampant today. I'll tell you, I have, I have a little bit of, of uh, training and counseling and enough to be dangerous. And at the end, there's, actually, there's a skeleton hanging in my closet. That's the last, in my office, that's the last person I counseled. So... <laughs> Someone walked in and said, what's this for? I said, that was the last person I counseled. And they turned around. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they ran for the door. But I'm telling you guys, narcissistic personality disorders are running crazy. And it breaks my heart when I see it in people who say they're a leader. They say they got this deep word from God and they begin to share. Really? It's not about God. It's all about them. My ministry, my moment, my thing, my thing. What I love about this fellowship is we are a family. The leaders, we are a tribe. And I love to empower others to do what they say. You should be doing that. No, my job is to work myself out of a job. That's what discipleship is really all about. And that's why I love others stepping in and doing what I'm doing. I love that. That's the way it should be, in my opinion. And then he moves on. In probably uh, um, 19 through, I'll say, 24 Jude is, is directing his readers in the remaining verses really to focus on three important tasks. There may be more, but three I picked up on really quick. Let's read. But you, my dear friends, he begins this call for us to remain faithful to the truth. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life was to satisfy their ungodly desires. So this is nothing new. He said, I told you. They told you. 
These people are the ones who are creating division among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's Spirit in them. So they're really devoid of the Holy Spirit. You ever been around somebody who says, says they're a believer, but you have a real check in your heart? Listen to that. Don't judge them, but listen to that, okay? Because the Holy Spirit will direct you on how you can minister to that person. It's not about ignoring them. It's not about walking away from them, but it's about learning from the Holy Spirit how to minister to the cry of their own heart. These people are very broken, and we're not trying to be better than them. We're trying to figure out how we can engage with them and introduce them to the real king of kings, to absolute truth. Amen? <clears throat> Let's see. And await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you into eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. You must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. This is a charge to us to remain faithful to the word, which tells us these are the ones we have to go after. Show mercies to uh, uh, still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins <clears throat> that contaminate their lives. And then over in verse 24, he says, Now all the glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. I'm so thankful that in Christ, he doesn't look at my sin. He doesn't even see it. The enemy loves to hold the videos of the summer of 82. And just when we're in that weak moment, he starts showing us that film. Remember this? And then the shame comes back. Genesis, when Adam and Eve had eaten of the fruit, they're hiding in the garden, and the Lord comes to him, and he says, Adam, 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 where are you? And Adam goes, we're over here, we're hiding, we're over here in the bushes, I don't know. And he says, why are you hiding? Well, because we're naked and we're ashamed. And God asks one of the most powerful questions, he says, who told you that? Who told you that? This is where sin consciousness must have, all of a sudden, the lid popped off, which God wanted to keep it. He wanted to robe them in this purity. But because of their choices, that robe came off. And all of a sudden, they knew what they had done. But when he said, who told you that? So many of you are hearing voices from the enemy. And I'm telling you, ask yourself, who's telling me that? Because I'm telling you right now, if it's shame, if it's guilt, it's not from God. Now, there is a difference between a conviction. The Holy Spirit will convict our hearts, will tell us when we did wrong. We'll take care of that. Repent, do quick. Be quick to repent. Get back on track, stay on track. But don't let that shame hammer you down and make you worthless. It's wrong. And you need to be delivered from that if that's you. Shame is not of God. Then he goes on. He concludes his letter with what is perhaps the best-known benediction I wrote, blessing and blessing in all the New Testament. He says this, having told followers in that building ourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit is the way to keep our feet on solid ground. And, and he closes by assuring us that God is able to keep us from falling. 
and he's present before us, and his glorious presence is without fault. Three things I want us to look at very quickly. And that is, I think, what Jude is trying to do. Jude is trying to get us to focus on three things. Number one, where are you and where do you stand as a Christian? How, how firm is your foundation? How strong is your faith in his written word? Now, only you can answer these questions. Guys, we must study the scripture. We must know what the scriptures say if we're going to discern truth and error. Because the enemy has a way of making something sound to have just enough truth in it. We go, oh, well, that's true. But then you walk away and you go, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And you realize where the air is slight slid into that. The other thing is know where the enemy stands. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's one thing I appreciate about Mario Murillo and his preaching and sharing. He knows that you know, he was down, he brought up Gavin Newsom, and I was, I was amazed and just wondered at how he was able to say, Gavin Newsom is not the enemy. He's not. It's the evil behind him. And I thought, man, he still has a heart for Gavin Newsom. We should still have a heart for our governor, but hate the evil and go after the evil that's behind it. Otherwise... God's not as big as we say he is. I know it's hard, it's wonky, it's weird, but we can figure this out if we lean into the truth and we stand on the truth. Know his methods and his tactics. Know that he prowls around like a roaring lion, <clears throat> seeking whom he may devour. But above all, know that he is a defeated foe. It is written. I've read the end of the book. We win. Jesus wins. The enemy loses. We have to stand on that and believe in it. When your darkest moment, when it seems like, man, it is all going there in a handbasket, ah! you feel like running for the trees and ah! stop, stop. Yeah, and just realize that he is defeated. The third is be prepared to stand alone. I'm telling you guys, stand alone. Jude was written... Sometime in the late 60, 60 ADs, I believe. And, and it's when the church was facing incredible persecution under, under a Roman emperor, emperor Nero. And it's the time when many Christians stood alone and many apostatized. They walked away from their faith. And I'm seeing that today as, as the heat's coming on, as, as, as what has been there for a long time, the veil's coming off now, and they're seeing it in real time. And they're going, I can't do this. It's like a pastor saying, I can't do another election cycle. Stop it. If God is with us, who can be against us? Nobody. Nobody. We stand together stronger. There's a synergy that happens when we gather as a tribe and we push back against the darkness. Remember, in this moment, the greatest thing that you have is absolute truth in what God says. That's our greatest, we talk about the sword of truth, right? We talk about, you take out the sword of truth, the breath, breastplate of righteousness, the cylinders. I, I get all that, but are you just standing there with the sword? I got my sword. 
Or do you actually use it? Do you take that and say, thus saith God. Thus saith the Lord. It says in second hesitations, whatever. (laughs) Swing that sort of truth. Go after the enemy. He does list out some really practical things that we can do. Talks about building ourselves up in the most holy faith. That means we need to read the word. We need to study the word. We need to just let the word soak into every part, every cell, everything in our body. We should like be hungry and eating it. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Man, double down on your prayer language. I, I, I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's just sitting on a mountaintop praying to God. Maybe it's sitting in a closet. I don't know, but whatever that is, that place, go to it. Go to it. It's just between you and God and Jesus and the Holy and you just begin to just pray I pray in, in, in my prayer language. I just pray, God, and I, I just know that God's ministering to my spirit, and my spirit's ministering to his spirit, and something supernatural is happening. It's the weapon, weapon of the ancient ones, Steve Shaw used to say. It's a powerful tool. We'll talk about that later on this year, because some of you need to understand how that really works and not run from it, be afraid of it. That's a lie. People tell you, that's not for today. That, ha- that died out a lot. That's a lie. That's not truth. So, it says, in this way, your feet, you keep your feet on solid ground spiritually. So I wrote just some quick notes. Let us pray for our leaders. Let's support the weak. Let's help the afflicted. Let's love and serve all men, men that we can. The Word of God says, if at all possible, be at peace with all men. And I know There's areas that we can't be at peace. We can't be in the same boat with, but that doesn't mean that we just turn our backs and walk away. We have to figure out a way to speak to that. And sometimes the best way we do it is speak the truth in love and let God do what God does and let him contend with those spirits behind those people. I wrote here, let us read, let us mark, let us learn and inwardly digest the word of God, knowing that we live in perilous times. They did then, we do today. And our only confidence, and our only confidence and help lies in Jesus Christ and the absolute truth of his word. I believe, and I'm going to go there next week, I believe it's time for us to return to the written word of God, to the absolute truth of God's word. And I believe that in that moment, we're going to begin to see renewal and we're going to begin to see a revival happen. It happened in Nehemiah 8. And we're going to explore that. Amen? Amen. So let's stand. As always, I want to challenge you for a moment. Maybe, Maybe you're one of those that's been kind of walking the line. It's kind of walking on the fence. I don't really want to get involved in all the political yelling. I don't want to get involved in this. I, don't want, I just want to stay in a peaceful place. I want to play, stay in this place that's totally static where I don't get pulled in anything. You can't live there. You can't. You're either going to be doing one or the other. And I'm telling you, if you feel like in your own heart and your life, you're walking your life in the way of Cain, it's time to repent. It's time to come home. 
It's time to get away from all this self-centeredness and it's all about me. It's time. It's time. And I want to challenge you to walk in the way of Christ this morning. Amen? So let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this amazing group that's here today. I pray, God, that you would bless every one of them with your presence all day long and beyond, God. And I pray, God, that you would put a hunger and a desire in them to want to read your word. You'd put a hunger and a desire in them to want to dig in and lean into your word in a powerful, powerful way, so powerful, God, that it changes them from the inside out. Thank you, God. I just pray, God, that you would um, continue to, I'll put it this way, God, that you would build a wall on their left and on their right and behind them so high that none of the enemy's darts, none of the enemy's accusations could touch them, God. And you would allow them this moment to be able to see the way that you've laid for them. And as they faithfully put one foot in front of the other and follow you, they're going to begin to walk into places they never dreamed were possible because you and you alone, God, create those places and spaces. Thank you, Lord. I just pray, God, you would light our hearts on fire again, for a deep hunger to want to know you deeper, God. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. I feel... Um, 